Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And that's okay. I'm Hillary. And I'm Megan. And today we are covering a show which um, brings forth in me... Uh, no other show brings forth in me such unbridled emotion, whether it's just <laughs> rage and a little bit of lust and some confusion and uh, mostly rage. Um, <laughs> we are, of course, talking about Tim Crane's heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, I well, that was not the answer I was looking for, but I'll, I'll accept. I will accept. <laughs> We are talking about the Animaniacs. No, um, we're, um, Ooh. we're, t- <laughs> uh, and goodbye, everyone. This has been a great episode. <laughs> that was the first show that came to mind. I'm sorry, God. Um, all right. <laughs> so, all right. um, to give a sort of brief synopsis, it's a uh, disclaimer. If you are coming here for an all access pass and sort of uh, a complete breakdown of every aspect of Heroes the series and its various spin-offs, interactive games, novel, uh, they wrote a book. Um, and, they did the, and they did a comic as well. And they did a comic and they uh, they've been there's been tons of online content. If you're looking for a breakdown of that, this is not the place. I'm here to just give you and, and Megan um, Megan listening and being being ever so, uh, ever so much a uh, calming presence. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm not. But I'd also like to just add, if you are looking for any of that stuff, I have one question. Why? Exactly. Why? It, it came out in 2006. That boat sailed. It docked. It arrived. It went back out. It set on fire. It sunk to the bottom of the ocean. We're not. We're done. If you didn't no. get into Heroes already, this is just skip this episode. <laughs> the mid, this is really just a trip down memory lane in the uh, mid, uh, the mid Thoughts were a nightmare. Just don't. Um, so. just, just me, just me watching NBC every what was it Monday night and being like or it Sunday was Monday. night. Yeah, Mo- no, it was Monday night. Monday night. Ooh, I was right the first time and yeah. being like, oh my god, new season, new episode. And then at the end of the after the end of the fourth season, I was like, okay, I wasted four years. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh yeah, we will we will get to that um having wasted your time feeling. But um brief history, um as Megan mentioned before, the show was created by uh Tim Kring. He's the show showrunner. It uh, ran from 2006 to 2010 and it ran for four seasons before being canceled. Um, the first season was extremely well received. It is a fabulous piece of television. If you watch Heroes, I really recommend you just stop after season one. <laughs> um, it's, a good, it's a good piece of advice, just in general, for a lot of different shows. Yeah, but mostly for Heroes. Heroes is the is the uh, pinnacle of just stop after the first season. Yeah, it could have been. It could have just been an encapsulated uh, anthologized series, which we will get to later. Um, uh, and we will actually cover um, anthologizing in a later Stranger Things episode. But um, moving onward, uh, engagement for the show uh, dropped sharply thereafter. Like, if you look at the if you look at the graph, like that charts it, it's like high, 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 low, low, low. With the exception of the first episode of the second season, which is like the most watched episode ever, because it was. Uh, coming after a very highly acclaimed first season, and people were like, what's going to happen next? Not knowing that they were going to get let down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, yes. 
Okay. <laughs> so the basic the basic appeal of Heroes at first was that it's a segmented series in which many storylines taking place in different places in the world and sometimes different points in time depending on the character that you're following they converge in some way at the end of the series and there's an overarching plot um uh there's an overarching plot that is emerging from the rest of this sort of hubbub you know you have these like little characters with their little individual stories and at the center of it Mm -hmm. is uh this character called noah bennett who's trying to track down all these super powered people um it's called Heroes because they're heroes. They've got powers. <laughs> it's called Heroes because Gerard Way had not yet written the Umbrella Academy. <laughs> Essentially, Umbrella Academy did it better. Um, so. it's, 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 a very, it's a very common trope that you see nowadays in ensemble pieces uh, where you have 10 to 12 characters, maybe even a little bit more, and you'll just, you'll have snippets. Certain characters are, will intersect a lot more than other characters will, but at the end of the season or series, depending, they'll usually all come together in some kind of major battle or some kind of conflict. And uh, it was, it's been done before uh, Heroes. It was done with Lost uh, just as successfully, guys. I'm certain nobody was uh, dissatisfied with the ending of Lost. Oh, I yeah. sometimes put it on to make my sister cry. It's fun. Um. <laughs> so, um... We're going to get into this later, but there are a lot of characters. And there are five people, count them five, which is actually a lot of people to have as your central characters, yeah. um, who uh, are important and relevant throughout the five, uh, the five seasons, uh, four seasons. I just wanted to say the five seasons hotel. Um, <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, it's Claire Bennett, who mm-hmm. is the cheerleader of the uh, phrase, save the cheerleader, save the world. She is um, what I would call invincibility, immortality. Um, yeah. She basically uh, she basically can injure herself and heal pretty much instantly. Except um, for this one particular part on her body. Yep. <laughs> Which, because, because you know what? We've got to have, we've got to have rules to superpowers, guys. Otherwise, uh, what kind of chaos are we living in? There really do need to be rules to superpowers, and I find that extremely important. Um, <laughs> if her if her brain if her brainstem is damaged, she's dead. Like yes, if, if her brainstem damage is damaged, she's dead. She gets um she gets uh, almost sexually assaulted in a uh, in one of the early episodes, and um the the character who assaults her pushes her down and she lands bad and a tree root like goes through that part of her body yes yes i remember this now he he strips her naked and leaves her for dead and she wakes up on an autopsy table because the root has been taken out by the autopsy technician and so she seals her chest back up and sort of just leaves it's very cool (laughs) That, that is that is i will i will give you all right all right i will give you that the idea of creating um uh I guess uh, restrictions on superpowers did lead to a very cool scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then we have Peter Petrelli. Um, we have the Petrelli brothers, actually. Peter Petrelli, who's a nurse, um, and he's very, he is uh, sort of the black sheep of his family because he's very empathetic. He's not getting involved in politics like his father and his brother. And um, his power is called empathetic mimicry. Which means that um, if he's near a person, he um, he get, takes hold of their powers, basically. So if he's near Claire, he can get be he can be super invincible. If he's near his brother Nathan, who can fly, he can fly like et cetera, et cetera. It's um, he develops like other powers later in the series, but that's not really important. Um, no, I mean it's it's also a complete like what he started out with in terms of his power and what he 
has it, his powers are just like the writers were like I don't know what to do with him anymore. It's just hmm, my, my my boy Peter was done dirty. He really was. <laughs> he was done so dirty, mostly because Mila Ventimiglia is the guy who plays him. Uh, Claire is played by Hannah P- Hayden Panettiere. Um, but it, it was one of the first big, big roles for Mila Ventimiglia, kind of the one where, like, he got a lot of that, like, you know, uh, millennial girl going, oh, my God, he's so cute. He's got he, the bag. He, um. he broke out of the bad boy, the bad boy kind of, like, shtick that he had when he was in Gilmore Girls. This was his first grown up role. Yes, and I didn't watch Gilmore Girls, so and I didn't he was, know it existed. He was, he was the, I know, but like this, <laughs> no, joking, he, he was, he was known for playing uh, Jess Mariano on Gilmore Girls, and he was kind of like the bad boy who was no good for Rory. And this was his first like real adult role. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's fun. I mean, for <laughs> me, I definitely should have. I, I mean, I appreciated him more as Peter Petrelli because he had the bang and like it. They, they, you know, it was just it was a very like, oh, he's I I kid you not. My mom got me a figure from like a comic book store when I was like 18 and it was a it was Peter Petrelli. She got my sister Noah Bennett because who doesn't love that guy? <laughs> Sorry, we're losing train of thought. I just want to say I really love Peter Petrelli. Continue. No, I also love Peter Petrelli. And uh, I think he was definitely put in the show for the sort of like to catch that sort of millennial girl demographic because he was such, yes. he was like a pretty sensitive boy and we were all like, ha! <laughs> Love you so much. Um, then there's uh, Nathan Petrelli, uh, who was played by Adrian Pascal, who, um, uh, who kind of had the swoopy bang going on in some of his early films. So, like, if just look that up. Look up, like, young Adrian Pascal. He was very <laughs> handsome. Um, his power is flying. It's... Uh, it's kind of lame and comparison. It's a power. It's a power. You can, wow, you can fly. You, you're basically Peter Pan now. Congratulations. We're going to, we're going to be able to cast this show a whole lot different now, Nathan. <laughs> and then there, and then on the other side of the country, there's Matt Parkman, who's kind of an insecure, um, insecure, overweight, sort of, um, shy like police officer who's constantly belittled in his everyday life and he um he's afraid of what people think of him and he of course gets uh the power of telepathy which which makes complete sense it's a little heavy-handed tim kring a little (laughs) (laughs) heavy-handed tim kring writing this character biography no one will expect him to be psychic And um, then we have uh, my baby, the best boy, Hiro Nakamura. Oh, um, yes. I don't know why, but I was. I really thought you were going to be like, my baby, the best boy, Siler. <laughs> no, we're going to get to Siler. But <laughs> oh, no, but Hiro, Hiro is truly like, if there's one thing I can say about heroes is the character of Hiro is... Uh, just like a, a pinnacle of a well-written character and oh, a well-acted yeah. character, just a hundred percent good on everything. Yeah, super. And he's like, he's kind of the audience avatar. He's very genre savvy. He's very like, you know, into comic books and like horror movies and like Godzilla and stuff like that. He's like a big dork, and um, he's <sighs> and his I love him so much. And his best friend's like, dude, you got to get your head out of the clouds. And I I I. 
I, I know this is, you know, this is just a base overview of everything, but um, I just want to say that, like, what happens to his best friend, his best friend's named Ando, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew that. So, like, at one point in the series, it just, it doesn't even matter what precedes it or what follows it, but Ando gets powers, and I swear to Jesus Christ, you're just, like, the whole time, I want to stand there, like, as hero and be like, yo, what the hell? Why were you such an asshole before? Like... <laughs> Ando, this isn't cool. Remember when you said I had no powers because I ran up to your desk and I was like, the clock went back three seconds. Yay. And you're like, shut up, dude. And now you got some weird red shit coming out your hands. And now you're cool. All right. I see you. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely like coming up. He's like, yo, yo like, come at me, bro. Um, except, in a, <laughs> except in a very like kind of shy sort of like i mean ando is like it, it's weird how they do kind of fit stereotypes so uh hero's very much like an otaku like from japanese culture you yeah. know just a nerd kind of like you know uh, just somebody who who know way too much about pop culture so everyone would be like Ew, i'm gonna stay away from him and ando was very much your like he's a guy he's like a bro he's, he's, you know like he's, he's yeah he's obsessed with getting a girlfriend that's basically like if you if we had to chart a character motivation for ando and why he does what he does in season one it's like i gotta get laid at some point <laughs> yeah he's like i work in an office i probably go to the bar after the office to hit on chicks and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Very so, fulfilling life. <laughs> so, and Hiro, Hiro, um, our dear otaku, has actually does have the power of time manipulation and time travel. And um, this, uh, he is not quite in control of his power. He gets control I, over time, but at first it is. <laughs> it is like five from uh, from the Umbrella Academy. He's except I think Hero uses a much better name. He calls himself the Master of Time and Space, which is just adorable because he sucks at it. So he's more like the Apprentice of Time and Space, um, yeah, the unpaid like the, intern of like, Time and Space. I was just gonna say the intern of Time and Space. <laughs> <laughs> the unpaid intern. He does like twenty hours every day. Like he sleeps for four hours, and like every other m minute is focused on learning how to control his power. Power, but Hero, by far and wide, has the best power. He really does have the best power. Um, and uh, those are our those are our heroes, and we have one main villain throughout the show. I mean, like, I guess you could sort of call Noah Bennett a villain, but he's so morally ambiguous that it's like yeah. you don't well, necessarily know. Like, you, I feel like it flip flops. You know, well, when the show came out. In the first season, Noah didn't have the name Noah. He was just referred to as HRG, horn rim glasses. And mm -hmm. he's 100% of the reason why I got horn rim glasses in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, so when the show came out in, in 06, um, it, it wasn't something that you knew who Noah was. You, I mean, the big spoiler of season one is that Noah is Claire's adopted father. Um, and you didn't know that as an audience member. You just see Noah like kind of sneaking around in the background. He works for this ambiguously named company, just the company, the company in the same yeah. way it's the, the commission. Because if your company has a name like, I don't know, like Johnson solos and whatever, and you'll be like, wow, what do you do? And you'll be like, well, technically we hunt down superheroes and kill them. Wow, it sounds like you're a law office, though. Yeah, no, no, we we, we did it that way on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I mean. Like in the um, 
in the first season, uh, yeah, he is introduced as this sort of ominous figure. You don't yes. know what you you're very intrigued by him, but you don't know what he's about. Exactly. And, it, and it's kind of the like in some people's lives, he is a hero. You know, he's Claire's dad. Yes. And in some people's lives, he's a villain. And that's that's like that's like I see what you're doing there, Kring. I see you. <laughs> oh, moral ambiguity. Shake it up a little, why don't you? I mean, like, I mean, it's ham-fisted moral ambiguity, but you know, like this is for uh, the mainstream I, television. I was about to say on mainstream television, moral ambiguity was just very, very. It was, it was, it was not ambiguous with how ambiguous it was. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, I'm angry at saying that sentence out loud. <laughs> Um, but also, so to, to the actual villain of the show, who's not even revealed until halfway through the season, right? No, he's not. He, you see sort of, you see hints of him being a creep and going around and doing his thing. But, um, it's a villain that calls himself Siler and his name is Gabriel Gray. And he is like, he fixes timepieces like, um, his father before him and his father before him. And, you know, it's an inherited... And I've never heard of that plot line used in anything we've ever talked about before. I, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> never. Nope. Mm -mm, definitely not. Definitely didn't hear it at Watchmen. Definitely. <laughs> Man, I have to sit. I, I researched this and Tim Kring was like, I have never read a comic book before he created these characters. And I literally want to sit his ass down and go. But you did, though. You definitely at least read Watchmen. Well, I mean, I read it in college. I didn't think it was a comic book. It was all oh. in one big hardcover. Okay. Oh, so, so here's, okay. <laughs> here's the thing. It could either be that or it could be like the guy. Uh, what's the guy? Who's the guy who does the boys? Gavin Freed? Oh, um, uh, yes. Uh, uh, Garth Ennis in, for the Gar boys? Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis. Yeah. I, I don't know. Gavin Freed. Where the fuck did that come from? Um, it's okay. Garth you're, you're good, girl. Proud of you. You, you got <laughs> the, G is, the G is there. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Garth Ennis. He could be in the Garth Ennis school of how much can I play with like copyrighted like shit. I mean, and also in 2006, actually, the Watchmen movie was not released until 2009, so he had three whole years on that shit. But uh, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I I just I can't imagine that why I didn't make that connection until literally I was today years old when I made this connection. But I know for a fact that Siler was repairing watches because his dad repaired watches, and I also know for a fact that John Osterman repaired watches because his dad repaired watches because his dad repaired watches. And I don't know why, um, because Siler is very definitively evil in season one and then and then he just skews towards the ambiguous i guess or what happened was tim kring had no idea how to write siler anymore so he was just like he's good this season and now he's bad and now he's good and now he's bad and now he's kind of ambivalent i guess with, um, <laughs> with siler we're going to start getting into what went wrong with this show with yes with so this episode's just going to be dedicated to um us mainly complaining about why how the hell could they have taken a show so strong i mean so so strong and by season four we were all like why does that guy look like jack sparrow and how did we end up in a carnival seriously um <laughs> I, and i wish i could tell you that that was not the plot of season four but it is uh, claire jumps off a ferris wheel i guess like i don't fucking and then in 2015, they decided to do Heroes Reborn, which oh, wow. was a mistake. You know, like, sometimes when people are like, I'm going to get back together with my ex because it's going to work out much better than the first time it failed. 
And then after two weeks, they're like, I, it was a bad idea. Don't, 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 don't let me ever do that again. Like, that's basically what happened with Heroes Reborn. It was just the worst failure of a TV show. And I watched all of it. And after it was done, I threw my remote at the TV. And I was like, what did I spend my time watching? That's so it's, so okay. it's, it's, just as sa- it's just as satisfying as watching seasons three and four of Heroes. We all make mistakes. It's fine. Like, I, there are, there are weeks and weeks of my life I will never time I will never get back having devoted to watching that show to heroes yeah um so we're I'm going to dive into Siler as a villain before kind of going into the general the general like breaking down what went wrong because uh, Megan and I discussed um what went wrong like in general a little bit before we started recording but um Siler, uh, Kring did not develop Siler well. Kring kind of went, like, all guns blazing, like, from the get-go, uh, opening women's heads like can openers, like, eating people's yeah. brains. Like, yeah. he just went for it. He didn't have Siler go for an experimental period. He didn't have Scott, Siler being horrified by what he was doing. Like, you don't just go from, like, watchmaker... Because you don't go from, like, timid watchmaker to complete fucking psychopath in the span of, like... (laughs) Yeah, I would think it'd be more... Because I remember in one of the seasons, in one of the later seasons, it's either three or four, Mm -hmm. they revisit how Siler, like, discovers that this is his power. And um, I believe it's somebody who visits him, particularly. And then Siler just, you know, automatically goes to murdering. Uh, I think he'd already, I don't know if he'd already killed his mom at this point. But, like, the, 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 the first, it's so heavy-handed with what they do in the later seasons to show how Siler discovered this power. Because, basically, he discovered his power by murdering someone and, and eating their brain or touching their brain. And it, it just is so... It, it is ham-fisted because he's just like, oh, I figured out how to steal his power. Because well, there was like a voice in his head saying brain or whatever. Not to, I, as, an, as an editor, it is my job to not be prescriptive. But like if I could have given Kring a suggestion, like as for a better device, like um, like I do in my work with children. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm very excited to hear how this is going to go. Go ahead. I would have had the first death be an accident. Like that would have been much more interesting, as opposed or to him- I, I, yeah. That, oh, I mean, then him just killing the dude. But also, yeah. like, if he's gonna play with the idea that Siler hears a voice as to who has power, and this voice is the one who decides how to kill and what to do and all that other stuff, I think he should have introduced it almost once. Once Siler had a face, aka Zachary Quinto. And if there were any perspectives told from Siler's point of view, that was the time to introduce the voice. Well, yeah, you know the the, vo- the voice, of course. But like, I I think that I still maintain that um, he maybe nece- wouldn't necessarily like he maybe wouldn't necessarily resort to murder at first because that wouldn't maybe maybe wouldn't be his first instinct. He'd try to find another way to get like a hold of this power and then this person dies and he figures out, oh, this is the easiest way to the power. And he's a practical mm-hmm. man. He's a watchmaker. So yeah. um I mean, you know, you don't have to agree with me, but I no, think No, no, it would... does it does make sense because I I mean if you if you watch any of the Siler backstories, like he's an odd man. He's one of those guys who, um, like, if you've ever seen in those cartoons where a character has glasses and the glasses just magnify the size of their eyes, so they just look very odd. 
Um, like, like Belle's father in Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of oddness. But it's not necessarily an oddness that speaks to depravity or murderer or anybody like that. It's just like an odd kind of outcast boy who was raised with this very traditional work of of watchmaking and repairing watches and it kind of just isolated him from society. So I absolutely understand the idea of, you know, maybe somebody did die on accident. Maybe they had a heart attack or or fell down some stairs and Siler had no idea what to do. And because he's not used to interacting with people, the idea of calling the police is a foreign concept to him. Exactly. That's, that's exact. That is such a good point. That's like exactly what I mean. And like, you filled in the blanks in my brain. So like, so basically I'm a better writer than Tim Kring. Please hire me. Don't, please don't, please don't. Because he, um, because he does not interact with people. He doesn't, he doesn't know what's appropriate. He doesn't know how to like um so so like if something horrible happens like like what's he gonna do like he doesn't um he doesn't know the first instinct to like call for help he thinks like what if they think i did it and you know he's self-preserving you know um, i also think that they took his character so in the first season they introduced him as a pure villain just this is a villain he's he's a he's a guy who can collect superpowers so it, that's what he wants and he's just thirsty for as much power as he possibly can get which is honestly for your first season first like you're just introducing the villain all right that's that's a good base motivator we'll we'll dive into it in later seasons as to why he wants to collect these powers but what they did instead was like, all right, so uh, we're going to change Siler's motivation every 16 seconds. It, <laughs> um, it baffled me as a viewer and as a person who was like a writer, because I was like, what are the objectives? What are the goals? Like, is he really a villain? And this kind of, this brings us the the nature of his villainous villain villainous villainhood villainous villainy villainy there we go villainous is a woman and villainhood is not a word (laughs) (laughs) villainhood is when it gets rainy outside and he has to wear (laughs) (laughs) everyone's like an end podcast unsubscribe (laughs) um so this this is um, this uh, nature of uh, his villainy is going to bring us to our first point of what went wrong, which is um, anthologizing. A lot of fans, um, as Megan mentioned to me, and this is actually also something that I have read and something that I agree with, come to think of it, think that each season should be its own separate anthology, that it shouldn't be a um, uh, a continuous through line of all of these characters, um, which uh, become burdensome and weary to carry, and weary for the writers to come up with new new plot lines for them. Exactly. Um, and um, I completely agree with that. I think the uh, I think maybe they could have a uh, an anthology with one or two characters. Probably Hero would be the character that would be like throughout all of them. He, uh, yeah, I would. That would make the most sense due to his power alone. He, yes, exactly. Um, it would be. It would be really interesting, not to bring up the umbrella, not to be Umbrella Academy on Main again, but like, um, yeah. it like <laughs> it continued um, a through line, but it was set in the '60s, so it felt like a different show. And yes. So. Um, I think uh, I think anthologizing would have been interesting. Therefore, we could have been introduced to a new villain every season, and Siler 
I mean, Zachary Quinto is a beautiful man and a very good actor, but he was wasted in that role. <laughs> I, I personally believe that, um, so like having Hero be your, be your through line for each season and like what they could do is they, so for any, if you look at any kind of anthology season, specifically like something like American Horror Story, they've, they've kind of dropped the ball with regards to anthology because what they would do is they use the same cast and they just change their roles, which was fun for the viewer. With Heroes, I don't believe that that, that model would necessarily work, but I do like the idea of maybe having, you know, recurring incidents with characters from the first season, but they're not necessarily contributing to the plot as much because the amount of characters that they introduced in the first season was a significant amount. And then they never touched on them again. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but did you know Christopher Eccleston? AKA the ninth doctor, AKA he was that weird dude in one of the Thor movies, AKA he's been in a lot of shit. And he was in it for like two and a half whole episodes. And when I- I loved his character. And it's amazing because his character's name is Claude Rains and his power is invisibility. And it's like, oh my God, Tim, wow. The only people who are going to get that is anyone who's ever seen Rocky Horror Picture Show ever. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, Claude Rains was, he? okay, we're done. Um, but that's the thing is they introduced him just to kind of like, I don't know, Mr. Miyagi Peter and be like, you can control your power, Peter. You know what you're doing. And then he disappeared never to be used again, which is why something like having a character who is a bit part in season one becomes a bigger player in season two. That way, because one of the biggest issues was this oversaturation of characters who showed up for a second, disappeared and went away. And um, one of the shows that I fell in love with after Heroes, which I should have realized is almost the exact same thing as Heroes, is Once Upon a Time. And they deal with the exact same stuff. Uh, they they introduced 70 million Disney characters and then you're like what happened to Cinderella and they're like I she's here she's fine don't look for her though um, <laughs> what happened to Hansel and Gretel they're they're doing just great but weren't they orphans don't ask questions like and the same and the same thing with heroes you'd have one of the characters who was introduced was this girl who had the superpower of muscle memory she could watch something once and yes. do it and she was in one season and that's it. <laughs> that's it. We're done. Congratulations. And it's you over. Thought, and you, with the amount of time they spent on her character, you thought she was going to be Monica, I think. Monica, Monica yes. something. Um, she's, uh, she's related to, um, she was related to DL, right? Yes, that's how she the, was, she, yeah. she, she brought, they brought her in that way. And I will give you at least if you're going to create like passive lines related to your first season characters. Okay. But that was another issue was that DL was thought to have died in the first season. And then they were like, just kidding. He's back. Just kidding. He's also still dead. Okay, well, we'll continue to move on from there. Yeah. And I'm, it's... Oh. Yeah, no, I feel you. Sorry to interrupt. But, like, no, I'm thinking about... Speaking of DL, um, they killed... Uh, this This drove me nuts because it was, like... Um, they killed They killed off um, Nikki, Nikki Sanders. Because yes. they were like, we have nothing else to do with this character. And I'm like, that's great. But we want to keep Allie Larder employed. Um... So we're going to write this new character and they're triplets and it's fine. And I'm like, no, just, just Allie Larder cannot be on the show. That's fine. Like characters I, get written off all the time. It's, it's, this is the thing. And this is what I believe heroes succumb to the hardest was that, uh, if a, if a character was popular with the fans, Tim Kring and the showrunners in general would, and the directors of the episodes or the writers would just be like, no, we've got to figure out a way to keep this actor involved. Like Siler. Siler is a villain purely suited for season one. We could have, we could have like killed him off at the end of season one 
or maybe there was some kind of ambiguous ending. Maybe we would see him in a future season, but definitely not next season. And then next season could have focused on, I don't know, the idea of like, like they introduced characters with no real bearing on the plot other than at some point they would interact with the main cast and then that's how something happened. Like, I, like, love the idea. So one of the characters that we haven't mentioned is this guy named Mohinder, who's a.k.a. Oh, the baby. love of my life. Oh, he's, uh. So gorgeous. At one point, he becomes, like, Spider-Man, I guess. Like, it's he, it deals with a very, like, his plot also gets lost. But um, the idea of, like, Mohinder, maybe Mohinder could have, like, because in the first season, it is very, very obvious he is a good character. He is just doing good. And I can absolutely see, because one of the common themes in TV shows is they love to talk about the idea of how science can corrupt you. Because you don't see people anymore. You just see profit or you just see results or you just see an experiment. And I would have loved to have seen, like, that kind of development from Mohinder. I think that, um, I think we sort of started to see that, like... This, and then they threw that plot line away, and they're yeah, like, "Yeah, no, no we don't exactly." Need it. <laughs> when when he got the when he got the powers, and once they corrected the kind of Spidey like the Spidey sticky stuff, and he just got like the enhanced strength, um, you know, like ripping the fucking car door. <laughs> I literally me sighing just dr- dramatically every ten seconds. Mohinder's on screen because yeah. it's just such a contrived story. It, it's it drives me nuts. I think they started. He kind of went mad with power. <laughs> I mean, I personally the uncorruptible think scientist. <laughs> I I mean, that's what's so issue. That's what the, what the biggest issue is. Is I think that maybe in season two, because one of the other issues. So in addition to too many characters, was in two thousand seven there was this thing where writers who wrote for TV shows wanted you know money for their work and their you know like their time, like like you know like employees. Like, they wanted that stuff. Yeah. It was, <laughs> um, it was the... Uh, writer's strike actually happens every few years um, because writers are criminally underpaid. And, yeah. Um, and, it, and they're always in the... Uh, and what it, oh, I'm trying to remember the exact name of the group that was... But it's the direct... It's the um, it's the it's the entertainment companies who produce these films and, movie, and TV shows that are constantly trying to renege on the things that should be entitled to writers in general, like residuals. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, unfortunately for, um, uh, thank you for introducing that for me. Beautiful. Um, because that was actually my next point, which was, um, the main reason things started to go wrong, which was the writer's strike. Um, season two was originally ordered for 25 episodes. Can you believe that? 25. Imagine what they could have done with it. Yes. Um, there were originally supposed to be, it was originally supposed to be broken up into like three subplots, like three sub arcs. And they only got to the first one, um, because it was cut down to 11 episodes, which left a lot of plot holes and unanswered questions. Um, there are characters who were left in different timelines. There are, there were whole, just whole... Like, um, Hero kind of just, like, bounced out of the feudal times, and, like, it was a lot. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, the thing is, so, uh, I don't, I don't know if if everyone listening, like, has remember, like, remembers exactly how the writer's strike impacted TV back then, but this was the time before Netflix. So, um, with regards to, uh, like, how it impacts, so, one of the best examples I can give is Breaking Bad was in its first season, when the writer's strike occurred. So, I believe, or it was the second season, but it, it cut down the amount of episodes from 11 to 9, or, or 9 to 7. It's, it's, it was 
I've got to like look at this a little bit more carefully. But in your first season to suffer like that, you're like, okay, we can still create like a baseline of where we're doing. Your second season, and uh, this was something that, that I actually found out today, but what the writer's room looked like for Heroes was you had four writers working on one script for each character, and then they just kind of smash it all together. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get your episodes. And if uh, you don't have your writers to do those things, um, I don't know if you could have guessed, but things won't go well. Uh, you can't just, you know, kind of hobble together a script and be like, oh, we've, uh, we've, this, this looks like it makes sense. Um, and that's the issue is that it, 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 it took an entire army to write a season of Heroes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, that really, that, that whole, the lack of that process really, really hindered um, the, uh, the development of the show as a whole and the plans that they had. And on top of this, which is um, uh, my favorite thing about Tim Kring is that he's ambitious. Um, he <laughs> writes, um, uh, I wrote in my notes, I just want to read this verbatim because I th think I'm funny. Um, I'm excited to hear it. Kring and company were like, you know the thing that worked? Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I, and that's the thing is like, so in season one, they had like a well-oiled machine. They were yep. like, okay, we've got this down. We've got this whole idea down. You four, you're going to write for Claire. You four, you're going to write for Nathan and, and uh, Peter. You four, you're going to write for Mohinder. And like, it was just so beautifully, it was it was literally like different pieces of, a, of an art project all coming together really beautifully because they complemented each other because they were different, but in the ways you would expect a cheerleader from Texas's story to be different compared to an Indian geneticist. <laughs> so I was mentioning how uh, with, with regards to, it was a compliment, like each section of the script. So where you had your Noah story, which intersected with Claire's and your Mohinder who intersected with Peter and Nathan. Oh, yeah. And then you had uh, Hero's story and they were all written by different groups and each of these groups complemented each other really well in like a really like just in a way that you could tell that these were different human experiences from each character it wasn't monotonous it didn't have the same kind of writing as every other scene type situation a Claire scene read and acted and felt different from a hero scene which read and acted and felt different from a Matt Parkman scene, which felt different from a Nathan Petrelli scene. Yeah, no, that's um, that's exactly um, that's exactly what made the first season work. And um, in a lot of a lot of articles that I've read, and a lot of what I've noticed in like rewatching clips from uh, the first season versus like the second or the third, is they decided to emphasize a different kind of storytelling. They all um, the write the writing um, emphasized like a slow build and like less on no. character interaction and action and more so on like introspection and stuff like that which is not what people wanted and not when critics wanted um Why would, uh, if you have a good formula for a good show and this is and this is i think one of my biggest questions as a fan is your writer strike happens okay now i get it you've spent money you have spent time the studio has invested money and effort and man hours into this so here's what I would have suggested as the studio, because rushing shit never makes it good. I'd like to point out the entire DC Cinematic Universe. <laughs> um, yeah. Suicide Squad is being remade within the same fucking five years because it's so it was rushed so terribly. Um, and like that was the issue with 
season two and because they left season two as they did instead of just kind of sh like to put like tabling it and like because that's what we do with tv shows now if they don't have the correct quality of the content they're going to release they're like well wait we'll be fine and it, it and i think i mean you know we were all in a time where we were like dependent on our next episode but i would have gladly waited for season two to be released if it meant that it would have been similar to season one Exactly. I think the um, the reason that season two, episode one, was the most watched episode is because people went in anticipating the action, yep. anticipating the thrill, anticipating the sort of awkward sexual tension between um, Peter and Claire, even though they're related. Um... <laughs> Me sitting down, Tim Kring. Why? Just don't, nope, there's Sir, no elaboration, you, like, you know, Would you like to have why? a seat? Um, <laughs> would you like to have a seat? Would you like to have 35 seats? They're not just, she's not just a child, she's his niece, like, what the fuck? Yeah, um, and aside from that, I really just think this is a matter of, like, I think Tim Kring and the, I think they got cocky. Like, I think they sort of, like, you have to be a little humble and be like, this is, a, this, this is the type of thing you do when you're in, like, the third or fourth season of your show you don't like or yeah. like like a musician you if you um if you put out an album that's like an instant success don't release something that's like entirely like off the wall different for your second album like, yeah and that's it it was the tonal it was it was the tone was it it, 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 it i just i cannot wrap my head around how quickly heroes shifted in terms of a gear change or or a tonal shift it was just something that as a fan you would end season one on this note of like oh fuck what's gonna happen next and then you're just gonna spend every episode in season two being disappointed and then you'll go well maybe it'll get better in season three and it doesn't and then you'll watch season four and go did we change shows what happened I, um, I really felt like at some point I was being exactly like the show changed, but I was being held hostage. <laughs> and like, exactly. I, I mean, the difference. So I I've watched most seasons of The Walking Dead, but I had to stop at some point because it was no longer enjoyable. It felt like a homework assignment because I was just watching it to like kind of like, OK, what happened this week? <sighs> All right. They're still alive. Like and that was it. I just waited until the end of the episode and I'm like, all right, Carol's not dead. And that was a waste of my time. And I feel like, at least though with The Walking Dead, I will at least give them that they made it to like season seven or eight before it started getting slow. And there would be seasons of slowness and seasons of, of like a lot of pacing and a lot of movement. And, uh, and Heroes just, instead of like... It, it's uh it upsets me mostly because it had all the potential in the world especially with regards to a diverse cast you had all of the potential in the world to introduce people from 7000 different countries all different kinds of cultures many different languages could have been spoken over the course of the show and instead i'm just sitting here going <laughs> I what know. happened like like crying like like fucking like don corleone go what did you look how they massacred my boy what happened to him <laughs> as i stand over and then and then tim kring thinking that doing heroes reborn which is set like 15 years or 20 years or something after the end of uh the first heroes and it's just 
horrifyingly bad. It is not. It is not an homage, nor is it good, nor is it well acted. No, they they made Noah Bennett their main like draw. They're like everyone loves Noah, and every fan was like, I don't think you understood why we watched it. It's because there were more than six characters to choose from to like. <laughs> exactly. You're not like. It's like you got the one. You got the one white man. Um, Congratulations, guys. I, we did it. No is the main character. <laughs> I think my favorite, my very favorite part of the whole shit show that was, like, season two onward is, like, even after the abysmal disaster that was the third or fourth seasons, Tim Kring was like, yeah, we're going to have a fifth season. Like, the audacity of white men. Like, truly. <laughs> I, I had a viewing party for season four. Um, I think it was the opening episode of season four and I like invited some, I was in college. Um, I, so I invited some of my friends over and we, we were, it was me, mom, my sisters and my college friends were like all sitting down, ready to watch it. You know, like a bunch of people who were 20, um, <laughs> real adults. Um, and after the episode aired, um, my friend looked at me and he goes, why are they at a carnival? Like, <laughs> like, just truly very upset about it. And I I have a tendency to, like, look for the best and the brightest in any situation. Like, if a film critic shits on a movie, I'll be like, well, it, it, let me give it a chance. Like, you know. And um, instead, I just looked at it and I was like, maybe it'll get better. Every single, every single week, maybe it'll get better. Another week, maybe it'll get. And, and uh, we, we, I don't need to touch on every single reason why heroes just failed because obviously there are too many to count at this point uh it's it's it, it just didn't do a service to its writers it didn't do a service to its characters it it, it suffered from poor tone poor direction i mean pick your pick your verb it's it probably suffered from either a lack of it or too much and and the thing that frustrates megan and i the most and like angers me personally is I, I hate it when potential is wasted and when something is mm -hmm. given all, like something has all the promise in the world and is given all the money and resources and chances and just squanders it. I like, as, as, a, prof as a creative professional, that, that annoys the hell out of me. Like, like I'm like, I'm writing scripts, I'm writing like books, I'm writing things and like, Every time mine gets rejected and something like this is allowed to flounder and fail and, you know, like, given millions of dollars of money, like, go fuck yourself. I can tell you the one silver lining of this whole situation is that as a fandom, uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty amazing because the fandom response to the end of Heroes, just like the fandom response to Game of Thrones, was, well, this all never occurred. We dreamed it. Goodbye. Let's never discuss this ever again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we all, as a group collectively didn't even talk to one another we'll just like like sometimes like one of the fun things that me and hillary used to say to each other was man i really wish heroes had more than one season <laughs> yes. and i and i would i would talk to people in comic book stores like you know when they used to sell the uh comic in the store and i'd be like man i really wish heroes had more than one season and they'd always go yeah me too <laughs> um, it's and it's just this know. feeling of the show just shit the bed just shit it just, like just didn't even try they were just like ready and <laughs> and nathan gets shot at the end <laughs> oh my god it's, uh, it's it's i think i think what we can close this off by saying is uh wounds don't heal when you're when something you love 
does you wrong. Um, it is absolutely like it, Heroes was one of those shows where we had all of the hope and passion in the project. We're like, we, we have faith you can do this, Tim. Four years later, we were hollowed out shells. Instead of uh, 19 going on 20, I was 19 going on 87 because I had seen war. <laughs> Uh, because of just how terribly this was written. And it's it's it sucks. It sucks to watch a show you love just not succeed. I have I've just recently started dealing with this because now that I'm watching shows on like HBO, it's just to watch like you watch a show and you're like, this has good potential. And then they're like, it's been canceled. And you're like, well, I mean, at least it didn't suck yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I now I do view through like a different lens because Heroes was allowed to go on for way too long. And there are certain shows that are just tied to a network and they just can't stop producing seasons of it. Yeah, no, I, um, I think that's probably like, as Megan said, that's one positive thing about streaming television. Um, like, and for those of you listening who don't know what the agony of network television, (laughs) um, me sitting here going, how is that even possible? (laughs) I know I'm thinking, I'm like, I cannot, I cannot remember, like, I cannot remember like a time, like, I mean, besides now, but like, I can't remember a time in my childhood where like my brothers and I weren't fighting over the television, like for the chance to like, you are one show on Sunday night before we went to school the next day. Like, Ah, but, um... <sighs> sorry, sorry. Nostalgia trip. Nostalgia but... trip, but that's okay. But that's okay. We're This is our podcast. We're allowed to do whatever we want. If you don't exactly. like it... <laughs> if you don't like it, um, I'm certain this... Listen, quarantine has gotten, like, 38 million new podcasts for you guys to choose from. Um, but either other than that, though, we, we truly... You don't understand, like, the idea of, like, waiting a, a, on a weekly basis for your next episode... And your heart would be like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Who's going to die? Who's going to live? What's going to happen? And then to to just have that crush, at least in streaming, if a TV show is terrible by the middle of the first season, you go, well, I'm not continuing any further. And you turn it off. Yeah. And you can fast forward through a gory part or like a part that's uncomfortable and awkward. When we were watching network television, we had to sit there in real time, like, experiencing agony. (laughs) Yeah, especially if there was, like, some, like, weird, like, make-outs kind of, like, pseudo-sex scene. And you're there with your parents. With your mom. If I, if God could just strike me down right now, that'd be great. (laughs) If I could just, if I could just truly just dissolve into ash, please. Like. (laughs) Please. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, this has been a really fun episode and um, a trip down memory lane, certainly. Um, and I- if, you, if any of you guys want to just email us like paragraph upon paragraph upon paragraph of how much Heroes has wronged you, uh, please do. It's going to help you. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, uh, we'll start a GoFundMe for like collective uh, therapy bills. I was about to be like, we're not remaking it, but we'll help pay for therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Mind meld. All Uh, right. Well, please stay safe. Um, We, I am not, this is probably the last episode that we'll be recording before Megan is a mother. Maybe. maybe. I I feel like if I get a chance, I do want to do one episode specifically on um something something that we can't talk about at, at, at right now because i don't want to spoil it but i do want to do one episode on this one thing that's very popular in fandom and it's it's actually not just fandom it's kind of like popular in general and i really just want to spend an episode just me and hillary kind of like 
talking about it. Awesome. Well, everyone, please stay safe, and um, we will see you anon. Much love. Bye. Bye. Mwah.